Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Bearded Golf Pro Podcast. I'm Keith Morgan, the Bearded Golf Pro, and my guest today is Bob Laskin. Bobby was a tremendous junior golfer and won a national championship at UCLA, and now he's one of the best coaches in Southern California. There's a lot to learn in this podcast. I hope you enjoy. All right. Hi, everybody. This is Keith Morgan. Welcome back again. I have a very special guest today, one of my former coaches, um, Mr. Bob Laskin. Bobby, how you doing? Good. How are you today? I'm doing great, man. It's, uh, other than this coronavirus stuff, we're, we're plugging along. But it gives us chances to do things like this. I, have, I probably haven't talked to you and man, it's probably – I mean, we've texted a little bit over the last 10 years or so, but I haven't been out there seeing in a long time. So I've been able to connect with some, some old friends and instructors I haven't in a long time. I talked to Brady Riggs. I had Greg McCatton yesterday. Um, so it's, it's kind of nice to catch back up. We all aren't so busy. Yeah, this is a good opportunity to definitely reconnect and share some philosophies and, and learn. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So uh, just starting out, um, most people probably know who you are, but could you give us a quick background of uh, who you are, starting with kind of like your junior career? Uh, we'll probably settle on that for a little while, where you grew up, where you played, all that stuff. So I grew up in uh, Whittier, and – we grew up on the eighth hole at Candlewood Country Club. And so I was always out there, you know, playing football, playing soccer. And and then uh, really kind of got into golf when I was nine years old. And then uh, my parents had uh, bought a condo down in Oceanside. And so it was funny. We were members. My dad was a stockbroker. And we were members at Candlewood and Friendly Hills. But actually where I played most of my, you know, beginning golf was at Oceanside Municipal. It's the first place I broke a hundred, you know, when I was nine years old. And uh, my dad and I would go down and we, you know, we played Torrey North. We'd get down there at four 30 in the morning and it was real crowded. We played the back nine. And, and uh, so it was really fun. Yeah. So I, I kind of grew up a little bit in playing golf in North San Diego. And, and then, you know, as I, I played soccer and I played football and basketball and I was, you know, better at soccer and then, uh, you know, had some success at golf and when I was like 11. And then when I had a growth spurt, I got the shanks and I, oh. I, I literally could not finish. It wasn't like I quit. I, I just couldn't finish. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I won LA city junior when I was 11 and, you know, I, I could break 80 and, and so that, you know, it was kind of good enough back then 11 and under. And then when I got the shanks, I mean, I, I couldn't finish, literally. I remember being at the Junior World and guys looking over and going, hey, watch this, you know. And I just shanked it. And I was, it was beyond devastating, you know. It was, it, I mean, humiliation, it was, it, it was beyond crying, you know. I was just, I felt so bad because I loved golf, but, I, I mean, I just was shanking every shot. And I didn't know why. So I didn't really play golf for like 10 months. And then randomly – I ran into a golf instructor at a soccer game and he's like, Hey, so you play golf? And we're in San Diego. And he says, uh, I said, well, you know, I haven't played in like 10 months. I'm shanking every shot. He says, well, do you know why? I said, no. So he says, uh, well, come on over to my course. I'll videotape you. And it was tag merit. And he was at Rancho oh, nice. Santa. Fe. Yeah. And so we went into this garage and there's exposed two by fours and he's got all this great equipment and he videotaped me. I think it was 1979, and I'm telling you, I hit this four iron, and I shanked it, and that ball banked around that room, and there's all that equipment, 
And he goes, he goes okay, well, let's see why that's happening. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he took the video out and, and he showed it to me. He goes, hey, look, this is what you're doing. You know, I was coming way under the plane and then finishing too much inside out to the right with no hip turn. And he goes, and so, you know, there's no other video or YouTube, right? So he had this flip book of Gene Littler. So I flipped. He goes, look, this is where the club should go. And he goes, you need to turn your hips and the club needs to exit. You know, he's, he's down the line. Club needs to exit below your left shoulder. So I kept looking at that and he goes, let's go hit some balls outside. <laughs> so he went out to the range and, and so I just did a few practice swings, you know, and he explained the plane, you know, how the shaft should go up and then come down and then go around your body and, and then, you know, this is how it should work. And I kept looking at that flip book. And I'm like, okay, okay. So I did a couple of practice swings. And then I hadn't been making a divot. Obviously, I'm going inside out. I mean, on a track man, it'd probably be your flight scope. It'd probably have been five degrees inside out, four degrees up. I mean, it was just like inside out, you know, Hoselmeister. So I went out and then I hit some balls and I made a divot. It was a straight divot. The ball went straight. It was solid. I mean, I'll never forget that feeling of being on that range of you know just oh my gosh you know i can hit a ball again you know and right. then and i think that really motivated me too to practice really hard because that's where i got my confidence from because i was so afraid of that happening again i'm like i never want that to happen again so you know i just really practiced hard and maybe even over practiced at some point but i think that that experience you know as a teacher when people you know they're shanking shots or they're in bad shots i'm like hey I, they're like, oh, you know, I can't believe I'm doing it. I'm like, hey, I've been there. You know, I know, yeah. you know. I yeah, feel we all have. And, yeah, we all have. And I, yeah. I think, that's, I think that's perfect for, especially the Grossberg things. I have a lot, and I know you teach a ton of juniors as well. Uh, these kids, you know, girls between 10 and 14 and boys between 10 and 14 that, I mean, I got 14-year-old boys that are six feet tall, 140 pounds that grew a foot over a summer and can't find a golf ball. They're really frustrated. So, to hear somebody like you that literally won the LA junior or LA, yeah, LA junior and then can't find a golf ball for 10 months to, to go through that kind of that trial, that tribulation. I think that's a very valuable lesson for the juniors. So once you find start to find the golf ball again, uh, what was next? Well, and then, so, I mean, I went from the outhouse to the penthouse, literally. I, I, uh, so before that was in the spring and then, at the beginning, end of spring, early summer, at my home course, I had six birdies in a row, and I broke 70 for the first time. And oh, it was just like, okay, this is good. This is working. This is better than not finishing. And then, uh, <laughs> and then, and then I went to Junior World, you know, where all the kids were laughing at me. And I'll never forget it. And the guy is such a nice guy. I'm not going to say his name. But I remember I was so pumped to be paired with this really good player. And, and so I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm so excited. And the kid is on the putting green and he has no idea who I am. And he goes, dad, why don't they put all the good players together? Cause I got to play with a couple of hacks and I just looked at him and then it kind of fired me up even more. Right. And, uh, and then when we went to the first tee, he's like, oh no, this is the guy from the putting green. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went on to win Junior World, and uh, I beat Billy Mayfair in the last hole. Awesome! And, and that that really that 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 was the turnaround. That, so that's when I started thinking, okay, 
maybe I won't play, you know, soccer. I'll play, uh, you know, golf. And it's kind of been funny because I played varsity soccer uh, my freshman year. And, you know, I thought I was so good. And I still watch Premier League and, and that. And I looked at some old videos of me playing in the soccer game, you know, where I scored like two goals. And, you know, I was thinking I was all all that. And I look at back, I'm like, oh, man. I wasn't good at all. <laughs> you know, like, like, like so I, as I remember, you know, it's so funny you go back and look at video and you go, oh, yeah, I was a really good soccer player. And you're like, oh, man, not really. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, was, I was the same way in, in basketball. I thought I was all world basketball, <laughs> played basketball through high school. I was like, I'm going to play college basketball summer. Golf was, I mean, I was good at golf, but it wasn't anywhere near my priority all through high school. And then looking back on, I mean, just the, I mean, my size and everything. I was like, there's no way I was playing. I'm six foot, you know, slow. I can shoot, but I'm not playing with these athletes <laughs> that can actually play above the rim. It's a whole nother ball game. So what was your last year of basketball? I think my junior year in high school was the last year I played. Uh -huh. My coach, my coach went, my coach is still a uh, big time. We had a really good team program at Montclair High School. He's actually at Wanda High School now who would have played, um, what's the name of high school, LeBron? James Kidd goes to. They were going to play them in the CIF finals. Uh, and then this coronavirus thing happened. They, just, they had just beat Modern Day. Wow. So he still coaches at Etiwanda. He transferred or he left for Etiwanda my senior year. So most That's of awesome. us didn't play our senior year. Yeah, but I was, I mean, we didn't have a golf team. So I just played basketball in high school. I, I played junior golf, but not, not a bunch. I played in the summertime, but I was basketball, baseball all the time. Um, until, my, until I got in the Navy, I, when I was in the Navy, I, I mean, I played a lot of golf in the Navy. I, the people don't, don't understand, but I played a lot of golf. And then that's when I realized I was actually pretty good. Um, but like I played. What, what was your little. favorite Navy course? Uh, well, I played Sewell's Point a lot because I was stationed in Norfolk. Um, that was probably my favorite. I mean, it's a tiny little golf course, uh, but I, I played really well there. The course at Oceana was really good. Uh, I had the course record at Camp Lejeune. I don't know if I, was, I shot 66 at Camp Lejeune. I don't know how – that probably doesn't hold up anymore. But um, but I think the Sills Point course was one of my favorites. It's an old-school style golf course, short, lots of, lots of shot shaving. This was in 98, 99, before the Pro V1, when you could actually kind of move the ball around a little bit. So I, I tell people all the time, uh, when the Pro V1 came out, my career – I mean, I, it was probably the end of the chances of me ever even playing just because I – Knowing now what I didn't know then, hitting down and across the ball to create spin to get the ball up in the air, I do that now and I can't hit a driver 230. So I had to really learn how to kind of level things out and change my game with the golf ball. Um, so that's kind of – that was kind of the, the beginning of the end for me as a player. And I don't think I was ever any good anyways. But, but it sent me down the path of learning how to teach and, and seeking out people like you to kind of make sense of all this stuff for me. Um, so all through a, so your junior career obviously took off to a blazing start, and then where'd you end up after that? So then, uh, so after junior world, then I won CIF at Pebble Beach, nice. and uh, you know just kind of limped through the southern section qualifyings, and then you know got to Pebble Beach, and it was a really windy day and super tough conditions, and the great thing was I qualified. I don't know if you remember this, but the qualifying was at uh, uh, Los Serranos, North and mm -hmm. South. And so it's pretty much if you shot 77 on the South or 73 or four on the 
north you're going to get in. And, and so back then, Cypress Point was in the loop. So it was like, yeah. we, we used to always kid, it was a, it was a qualifying to play Cypress Point, you know. <laughs> I was like, oh, can I just hang in there and shoot 77, you know. And I remember Wasn't I did it- I, Go ahead. Wasn't it well, – you play Spyglass and Cypress, and if you make the cut, you play Pebble, right? Is that how it was then? Or So in in that year – so that was 82, I think. Okay. It was Pebble, Cypress, and then 36-hole cut, and then you went to Pebble. And all the match play was at Pebble. So it was a 54-hole qualifying stroke, and then it went to, you know, like 32 players. Nice. I know. So, I mean, this is the greatest. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So how'd you do there? So I won CIF and then I made a match play at, uh, you know, playing Cypress and Pebble. And then I lost to Jim Camione in the uh, first round. I was one down going into 18 and uh, I hit it on the rocks. <laughs> oh, that'll do it. I've seen a lot of people hit it. Um, so <laughs> I so tried to hit it as hard as I could. So what age were you then? Is this like you're probably 15, 16 years old then? 16 years old, yeah. 16. Now, like you said, you played a lot of soccer growing up and other sports. Um, how much golf were you playing, you know, from – I mean, what? how old were you when you started? How early did you start competing? I mean, what kind of hours were you putting in? Because I got – I mean, there's kids now that are specializing in golf only at, seven years old and that's all they do and then there's kids who are playing i mean southern california here we can play tournaments pretty much every weekend if we want to like i said golf was basically just a summertime sport for me until i was probably 16 17 what was your your schedule like as, as far as you practiced did you have friends you practiced with a lot that, that made you competitive how'd you get so good at that age so you know early on it's funny how just things changed at the where we played, you know, when I was younger, 10, 11, we had, we were on the swim team. So you'd go have a six thirty in the morning swim and we could walk because we lived on the eighth hole. So we'd walk over, do swim practice. And then, uh, sometimes do a double swim practice. There's an early and then mid morning one. And then you, you, the juniors couldn't even be on the putting green until after 11, you know, and you couldn't even play after until after 11. So, we would just hang out, and then we there was a chipping green or a putting green out. It was a nursery that there were some holes in, so you can go out on that one behind. I don't know if you played Candlewood, but behind number eight T, there used to be a big green there. So we just all the juniors would go out there and just putt and chip, and and then uh, you know then it was eleven o'clock. And then you just play as many times as you could. I mean, we would literally play thirty six holes, walking just. What's that? You guys weren't out there beating balls, bucket after bucket. No. You guys played. You just played a lot of golf. Well, it's kind of funny, too, is, is uh, I remember one time when I decided I wanted to get good. In the old days, the, uh, Meeks and I talked about this is, you know, at the country clubs now, the pyramids are out there. You just hit as many balls as you want. But in the old days, it was price per bucket. And I remember I hit like seven buckets one day. My dad got the bill, and he's like, hey, what are you, buying balls for everybody? And I said, no, Daddy, you know, I, want to, I want to get good. He goes, hey, he goes, well, quit the club, and you can go join a driving range. He goes, but, you know, if you want to have balls, I'll get you a net. <laughs> so he goes, go play, and then you come home and hit the net. And actually, that's what I did. I, I would go, and I would play golf after school. And, uh, I mean, I had a ridiculous setup. We had a chipping green just over our back fence on the course and a bunker. 
So I would go chip and putt, and then I would hit balls at night. And then, you know, I would hit balls, you know, maybe a thousand balls a night. I mean, I'm not kidding. It was unbelievable. And then, you know, we had a jukebox. So it's like, you know, your earphones. I had my music playing, and I was just sitting there hitting balls and balls and balls. You know, and, and a little bit of that was just the fear of, you know, what I had gone through. You know, right. so th- that repetition. So I was a ball beater, but I also played a lot. But I didn't spend my days out there. You know, and if I started hitting it bad, I'd go, you know, we had a basketball hoop in the back. I'd go shoot hoops for a little bit and then come back and kind of, you know, try again and and just just kind of groove it. And people say to me you know, a lot, they say, oh, what was your swing keys back then? I say, you know what? I hit so many balls. I just – it just happened, you know. I, you know, I, I didn't have to think. It was it's just like I, I looked. It's like point and shoot. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's – and I think a lot of that has to do with playing. I mean, you, you get – I mean, it's a chicken or the egg. Do you get confidence from seeing good shots on the golf course? Do you get, get confidence from, you know, feeling something in a practice session and then going out there and transferring to the golf course? But I got to ask the question then, who, who is the better bunker player, you or Eric Meeks? <laughs> I think Eric is. But I said that one day – I mean, he he was just adamant about beating me, and I was I just kept beating him. I mean, and he just he wouldn't stop. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So so we're gonna go a little farther ahead now. So you end up at UCLA. Um, I got I gotta hear what it was like playing for Mr. Marins, and and obviously I'll let you tell that story. But something kind of special happened while you were there. Um, so tell me about your time at UCLA a little bit. Well, you know at UCLA. You know, when we got there, the schedule, my freshman year, we had 90 days of competition. Now, the caveat on that is, is we had like 22 guys in the team. So we had like an A and a B team. So you're always traveling. So, you know, it's kind of like 45 days of competition. Then the next year, they came out with the 28-day rule. And we had to cut the team back. And, you know, but I think, you know, because we had so many good players, and it was so competitive. But how about on Monday? If you're in the top 12, you, you got Monday afternoon Bel Air, Tuesday afternoon Brentwood, Wednesday Wood Ranch, Thursday morning Bel Air before seven, uh, Riviera after 12 on Thursday, and then you got uh, El Caballero Friday and Lakeside Saturday. So, you know, just playing that schedule. I mean, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, okay, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm I'm playing 36 every single Thursday. So my Thursday was Bel Air in the morning and then go out and play Riv in the afternoon. It was the greatest day ever. That's awesome. Yeah. And you guys won a, a national championship. Was that North Ranch or? Yeah. So yeah. my senior year, we had uh, Brant Job, Rich Greenwood, and Kevin Leach, and we were all seniors. And then uh, we kind of picked – Mr. Marins let us – pick our fifth man he, he gave us like double voting which so which pretty much said if we got together and wanted the guy uh we ended up picking tim crookshank and he ended up kind of winning the tournament and brant finished second in the tournament and crookshank birdied 15 and 17 to to win it for us and and i think we were you know all my other years we were always ranked like second in the nation and and that year we didn't play that well we, we were i think ranked 11th or 12th yeah. and we barely got in i think we yeah. finished ninth in the pack 10 which is now the pack 12 but right. back then, we played horrible and 
it was kind of a goofy setup course, but we still, you know, I, there was no regional qualifying. It was just based on rankings. And I think with Mr. Marin's pool, that's how we even got into the tournament, you know, cause we were thinking, you know, coming home from uh, the pac 10 that we were all kind of done, but, yeah. but we ended up winning. And uh, I think we were in 13th place, 11 back going in the last round. Oh, wow. And then we played great. And then uh, everyone came in and there were some tough pins that day too. I remember Glenn Day four putted number 16 and he played for Oklahoma and UTEP was right there and Oklahoma state. And, and then we went by a couple shots, but it, it was, you know, yeah, it was, it, it was, it was super fun. And, you know, looking back on it now, you know, it was really a big deal. You know, you, you think, yeah, you can golf such an individual game you know, when you have a team event like that and, you know, I think I finished around 20th or something like that, but you know, the last round, you know, just grinding that out when you're not playing your best, you know, that's the thing is like, you know, if, if you're in the leader group or something of a tour event, you're playing so well, you're on your game, right. but it's, it's grinding it out when you're not at your best, you know, that's really kind of a key for college golf, you know? So I think a yeah. lot of the grinding teams, you know, that, Really, that's a that's a thing that coaches look for. You know, do you find that too? That like a lot of coaches that come out and look at your players and they're kind of like, hey, you know, what kind of kid is this? Is he grinders? You know? Yeah, that's that's pretty much. I mean, if, if a coach even calls me at all, it's it's hey, what's this kid like? You know, yeah. when he's not playing his best, can he? You know, is it is he a quitter? What's is he is he mentally tough? And I think I, I kind of you know, I like I, I tell everybody, I'm a military guy. I kind of have a little bit of. I consider myself pretty mentally tough and I try to instill that in my, my kids. I mean, we have a pretty, I, I coach a lot and even the kids I teach individually, we bring them in in groups and teams and I want them competing. And then, I mean, there's, there's the no quit mindset. And like, like I tell them, I'm like, you might, you might have, you know, a, I mean, the best span of golf I ever played was probably a six month long time. And that, that happened once in my life. It's usually, I got, I'm playing really good for, three weeks to six weeks. If I'm lucky, I got, I got something working. And then the rest of the time I'm grinding. I mean, and it's, just, it could be one round of golf. You got six holes where you're playing really good. You got six holes where you're playing really bad. You got six holes that are probably what you really are. It's, it's how you, how you play those six really bad holes. Can you scramble, get up and down, maybe turn a, you know, chip in and make a birdie when you should be making a bogey. I think that's what separates the, the ones that, that can and the ones that can't. I mean, that's, that's kind of what, the way I look at it with the kids that I've had have had any success so far. How do you think you, you translate or, you know, get your military experience and discipline you learn from that into the kids? Do you, do you, do you help them with the, you know, the organization and the discipline that you gain from being in the military? Yeah. I mean, I, I try to, um, I kind of, I mean, I'll write out practice plans for every one of my kids and, and I try to get them all to really be diligent with their stat tracking. Um, so I have kids that use, you know, anything from decade to shot by shot to shots to hold. And we're, and I mean, just, just like I, I tell them, I'm only a very small percentage of the, of the solution. You need to take ownership, um, just like a military person. You need to take ownership in everything you're doing and you need to be responsible for entering these stats and looking at these stats and you need to, I don't want to have to go through, especially the high school kids that are kind of looking to play college golf. I shouldn't have to tell you 
what you need to work on, you should be telling me and I'm going to verify that that's what you need to work on. Cause, cause it's all about, you know, you, you just have to take responsibility for yourself. Like, just like you said, you go out there and nobody told you to go chip and hit bunker shots every night. You have to have that, that, that self-discipline. Um, and I'm kind of, I don't want to say I'm tough on them, but the kids that tell me I have a different relationship with my kids that are just playing to have fun. And then my kids that tell me, I want to really, like, I want to be really good. I'm like, okay, kid, you want to be really good? Don't tell me you want to be really good when you're spending, you know, 20 hours a week with your buddies, hanging out, going to high school parties, doing that kind of stuff. I mean, I say all the time, driver's license and the opposite sex probably ruin more good golfers than, than anything else out there. So it's, it's, but it's, you have to be disciplined. Just like, and there's no great basketball players or baseball players out there screwing around. They, they put the work in. You put the work in, and, then you can but don't you think socially too? It's important that the kids do go to the school dances, and and there's a balance of that too. Because I, I see the other side of that also is you know where the kids oh, yeah. don't go out, and then they become you know socially it's kind of tough when they go to college. It's just not a fit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we'll probably get into that a little bit later too. But I think that's absolutely the case. Um, but it's it's kind of just about time management. Like that's when when you get to college and you realize, oh, I have all this free time. I, when am I going to practice? When I'm going to do this? I try to teach them that in high school. I have these time management sheets I got from. It might have been a Cameron McCormick book or somebody that basically tells you, you have this many hours of schoolwork a week, you need to sleep this many hours a week, and you spend this much time with your family. Here's the whatever thirty five extra hours you have. How many of those hours are going to spend practicing? How many of those hours are you going to spend socially? And all, all that other kind of stuff. So, like, I mean, you kind of just break it down. And I think that's a little more militaristic, too, where you're like, okay, I have 40 free hours this week. If I spend 25 hours practicing, I can spend five hours with my girlfriend. I can spend, you know, five extra hours doing something else. Or I can, you know, play video games for five, five extra hours. I mean, it's, it's just an understanding that I think if you want to play big time, you want to play college golf, I think you need to be putting – 20 to 25 hours in a week probably playing maybe at least 18 to 36 holes a week I think that's kind of would be the bare minimum to get into a good D1 school now um, so you got to find out how to manage that time you can you can make time to do it all I have plenty of kids to do it all and I'm sure I know you do too so that's the I think that's the the way I approach it just teaching now, time you, you flew you flew helicopters right yeah I was a, I was a helicopter air crewman so I was I didn't actually fly I was a I was an enlisted um, person that basically I was like it's kind of like a glorified flight attendant. I uh, I would brief you know any troops we were transporting. Um, I load and unload the aircraft, and anything that happened behind the cockpit was my responsibility in the aircraft. So there's a fire or you know where it got parachuters jumping out, or you got to shoot a 50 caliber machine gun at a you know a mine in the water or something like that. That was that was my job. And if there's and, somebody, and so did you guys have like a checklist of things you did before you went up? Do you do you oh. do that with you know the checklist of the of the prep? Do you carry that over to the golf? Yeah, with yeah, with my with my top juniors, and I think it's kind of individualized, like just like a routine. Um, like I said, there's time management worksheets we fill out just for them to have, you know, to kind of know how many hours they actually have in a week. But we also will go through like there's tournament preparation stuff we do. Um, yeah. And I mean, like most of them in a practice plan, if they're doing their stats right, I can break it down. Okay, look, you only you don't need to spend six hours out of your practicing. If you do 
this, your putting practices, let's say you're doing 30 minutes of putting practice. Your first five minutes are just set up, your setup checklist, and then the next 10 minutes are going to be kind of some regular block practice drills where you're just working on stroke stuff with maybe a mirror and a mat and some tees to practice start line. And then the last 15 minutes, you're going to do random practice putting to different holes from eight to 15 feet because that's the area you need to work on. So that's, that's the kind of checklist that I would use. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, pretty good. So uh, to move on a little bit, I don't want to get into your professional career too much because um, we might come around to it a little bit later. But when you started coaching, how'd you, how'd you get into coaching and, and where'd you start that out at? So, so it kind of started with uh, actually when I was qualifying for the LA Open, I got paired in 91 with Mac O'Grady. And then nice. – uh, and he shot eight under and I shot seven under and I thought we were both going to get in. Then John Burkle came in at eight under and I was out. And, uh, but you know, Max said afterwards, you know, so we waited around. And so I got to spend, you know, good three hours sitting at Los Serranos with him, you know, talking golf swing. And, you know, I told him I was, you know, reading the lead better book and, and, you know, everything I you know learned from Eddie Marins and tag merit and, and uh, Ben Doyle and, you know, all those, you know, were, were just, you know, all of his feedback there was, was great. And then, you know, the Meeks, they ran into him in 89. And so they had taken some notes from, uh, from that meeting in the hotel lobby at the U S open. And, and I had, I'd written that down in my golfing machine book and I had all that. And I said, Hey, I've got all these notes and I'm trying to do this, this, this. And I was kind of mixing and matching some of the lead better stuff with his stuff. And, uh, and so he, he explained to me, you know, compatible club faces with, you know, weight shifts and arcs and, and, and things that I hadn't really thought about. And he says, Hey, if you want to come down to the desert and work with me, you know, be happy to work with you. So when I went down there, that, that was, I, I was playing well, but it, it was really, it was a big learning experience for me. And it kind of put a lot of things together. And I think the time I spent with Mac during that time really, you know, helped me become a better golf instructor. And it, I mean, it helped me be a better player. I mean, I played great that summer, I played in the open and I won the Queen Mary Open, and I was leading money winner on the Golden State Tour. Mm. And then I got out on the uh, Corn Ferry Tour that year. And so all of that, I mean, the knowledge I gained from that time and seeing him work, you know, with, you know, some great pros and something. So I'd, I'd never really taught. But, I, you know, I felt like I was a student of the game. And so then when I – I kind of had a falling out with my sponsors and uh, I wanted to go to the Asian tour after that. And, and they're like, no, just stay here. You'll make money on the golden state tour. And so I didn't want to do that. So I see, you know, I just want to do it on my own. And then, uh, so I was kind of out of money. And so <laughs> I went and I started selling shirts. So oh, wow. I was selling shirts in 93 and I went everywhere and, and, uh, I ran into Billy McKinney and he was the head pro at uh, Norwalk golf center, oh, nice. cool nine hole course. And the city's redone and done a great job. But so I went there and 
it was in the afternoon and I'd just been shut down all day long, you know, going course to course, knocking on doors. And Billy goes, Hey, if those shirts were decent, I'd buy them. He says, but, uh, <clears throat> he goes, listen, he goes, I want to go out to dinner with my girlfriend tonight. And I've got two hours of city group lessons. He goes, here's 60 bucks, 30 bucks a class. He says, uh, there's 25 people in each class. He goes, go up there and make it simple. So that's how I started. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I, got, I got thrown in the deep end, but it was actually what a blessing to just have all these people, you know, and I said, well, Ben Hogan, they're like, who's Ben Hogan? You know, I'm ready to cry, oh, wow. you know? And, uh, you know, it really got it down to, you know, teaching all these people, you know, just the fundamentals of the grip and the setup and, and then just, you know, just going through all of this and how to say it simpler, you know, how to get down to that lowest common denominator. Like, how can I teach this to these people where they're going to, you know, improve and you don't have that much time. So that was, that was, uh, you know, really a blessing. And then Billy ended up taking, uh, doing a golf school in Germany and he left. And so I ended up being the head pro at the Norwalk Golf Center. And so then I ended up running tournaments i ended up running you know junior schools junior camps senior camps i mean we had it all it was it was it was hopping and but that experience i went back to those people and i made a big sheet i'm like hey what did i say to you that was over your head that you didn't understand and they yeah. wrote all those things that, and then i made a video called get into golf and uh and it was about all the things that you know, I talked over their head or they didn't understand, you know, what I was saying, but they just kind of nodded their head, you know, and, and so to get that communication with people, uh, that was huge. But then the other great break was I had an eight millimeter film, the, you know, the good Sony, which was really expensive. Yep. And I would put that down and had a little TV and I would show people their swing. Well, the people, what I noticed was the people who had an eight millimeter player or they'd go home and watch it those people came back and whatever we worked on was fixed so i said you know maybe i should give everyone a tape maybe I, what does everyone have a vhs so then i went i got a big vhs and i would record on a vhs and then give them the tape at the end and and that ended up being like a double bonus because one i ended up getting a lot of people from they'd go to you know a have people over their house. Hey, look at my golf swing. And they'd pop in the lesson and they're like, Hey, I want to do that. You know? Right. And so I got a lot of lessons from those videos. And I just noticed that, you know, the people who really wanted to get better when you get them out of the environment of the lesson, and then you put things on that video. And if they study that, then they have, maybe they're not doing it right, but if they have the knowledge of where they are and what they need to do, much better chance of them improving. And they did, you know, and so people improved and, and I really, you know, built up a nice clientele. And then, uh, there were two good players, uh, that I picked up, uh, twin girls and they were Taiwanese, Linda and Lisa Chen. They were really good players and they came for lessons and then they were doing well. So I got a lot of their friends came for lessons and then James and John Myung, they played in the Norwalk city championship, which they won. And one of the things that they won was a free golf lesson with me <laughs> and met them and, and, and they were great. And they were, you know, really good players. And then Alan Tapey got the lease at the big T and he's like, Hey, do you want to come over? 
And I was kind of torn because, you know, Norwalk was just, it was a great spot. It was, you know, really fun place, but I'd grown up, you know, hitting balls at big T at night also. And so then when I went to big T, I was there and I'd go out and I'd hand my cards down the range and, you know, give a lot of free lessons. And, you know, the one guy says, he goes, Hey, you know, that guy is never going to pay for a lesson. I said, yeah, but you know what, if he's hitting the ball better, he plays golf with three guys. They're going to go, Hey, you're hitting the ball a lot better. How'd you do that? You know? And so it it was, you know, I, I did a lot of that. And then Jen Park, uh, I gave him lessons and he was a really good junior was struggling. Same thing, like the growth spurt, you know, he got bigger and stronger and he had the little kid swing. So once he got on top of it and kind of swung left, which he could do now, uh, he qualified for the LA open. He beat Tiger Woods record for the youngest to qualify for the LA open. And then, and actually Tiger Woods got an exemption. Bob May was the youngest to qualify. Bob May qualified when he was 16. Right. And Tiger got an exemption to beat, you know, I don't know if that really beats it. But anyway, Jin was the youngest to qualify. He qualified, and then I caddied for him. And I went from being, like, half full to being, like, overbooked and you know, needing the secretary to help me with my schedule. I mean, it was like <laughs> the floodgates opened up. And it's yeah. kind of funny because a lot of pros, the Korean pros who came in, they're like, they're like yeah, you know, everyone – how much did you spend in advertisement in the Korean newspaper? And I'm like, like none. They're like, no, no, no. Everyone I talked to says they learned about you from the Korean newspaper. I'm like, yeah, because I was on the front page with Jin hold this back. <laughs> <laughs> I love that story. <laughs> I need to get out a newspaper. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess it'll be a website now. Great, great marketing. Yeah, seriously. Uh, <laughs> That's pretty good. I always, I always love hear, hearing that story. So, and you had, you had a ton. You had, you had James and David O, right? And you had Siwon, yep. and obviously Jen. And th- those Dahl. kids just found you. Yeah, Kevin. Yeah, that's, I knew Kevin really yeah, well. Thank you. Um, yeah, and you just did. They just find you a big T, or I mean, yeah, because, because you know, one kid got kids, good, the next kid came up. All their parents saw, you know, the news, the Korean news, and that, and and then uh, some went to Mac schools. Mac, I was still doing, I was doing golf schools with Mac and, and uh, Kevin Na came to those. And, and so that was, uh, so it was kind of a combination of, of the Mac schools and just, you know, the, and, and then, well, when James O won the, well, James did the same thing. He, he was the youngest to qualify for the USAM beating Bobby Jones record. And so randomly, Eric Meeks, by being on the Walker Cup team, he had a – they gave him a copy of Down the Fairway by Bobby Jones, a book. And I gave that – I said, James, you need to read the story about Bobby Jones playing in the USAM. You just beat this record. And it was really cool. And then, uh, you know, James came back and won the USAM. And then he – and then Siwon actually stayed with him and his dad. And, uh, uh-huh. and, and, and he, then he ended up winning the, the, I mean, the U S junior also, you know, just a yeah. couple of years after, uh, so that was, you know, the floodgates opened and then I caddied for Alice Kim. She, she qualified for the U S open. I caddied for her up at uh, Lake Merced. And then I caddied for her in the U S open up at pumpkin Ridge. And that's when 
Michelle Wee was 12 years old. So I got to see all of that. That was, uh, that was pretty fun. And so, you know, with those things, then, you know, I, I had most of the, you know, really good juniors. Yeah. And when, when like Siwon and James and David, all those guys, when did they really start folk playing golf? Were they really good by eight, nine, ten? Did they, were they focused on golf from the beginning? Yeah, I, I think those those players probably, you know, eight, nine, ten, probably. And yeah, they, they definitely were, you know, I mean, and you know, C one came over and he, I think he lived with James, his dad, for a while, and then the parents came after that. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was, it was pretty much uh, golf, golf, golf. Yeah, that's what because I was I I remember all those names. Uh, they're probably really close to my age, and they were just world beaters. And but for the most part, um, I mean, they had a little bit of success on the on the pro tours, but kind of. I, I always wonder what it is, what the separating factor is. The, the people that are winning the USAMs, and I'm like like the Stephen Foxes, and um, like Michael Weaver that played at Cal was in the finals of the USAM, but kind of never get out there and make it on tour. Um, what keeps them from? I mean, like Eric Meeks, like, I mean, Eric had a pretty good professional career, but didn't try. I mean, the tour is hard. What do you think is the, the separating factor with a kid like Kevin Na and a kid like James or David O or, or a John Ray Leary, like those kind of guys. I mean, that I, I thought all these kids were so good. And then I know Southern California is a hotbed, but, but it's, <laughs> it's tough to put a finger on it. Well, I mean, you know, if you would look back at those days and you would say, you know, who's going to make it out of this bunch, you know, I would have probably said Kevin now would have been third or fourth, you know, down the yeah. line. I mean, Daniel M couldn't be much more solid than him. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, James, I think James, you know, had a really good shot at, you know, being a top, top, top player. Cause he, he was a gamer, you know, the, the bigger the pressure, the more he liked it. You know, he was, and I think, you know, in Eric, you talk about Eric Meeks, you know, he, he said it. I mean, Tom Kite's out there, dude, you're listening to everybody. Yeah. He, he was listening to everybody. It was tough to watch, you know, cause I caddied for him in a few tour events, you know, and you had all these guys coming up and he's, you know, he's not playing as good as he wants to, but you know, everyone's trying to help out. And, uh, but man, you you got to be a little bit stubborn when it comes to comes to that. You know, I think you got to be a little more protective of your of your your brain power. You know, how much can I take of all this information? You know. Yeah, yeah. I heard I heard Max Homa on a podcast talk about it. He said, you know, you play a practice round with Luke Donald and you see him putt, and you're like, oh, I need a putt like that. And you play it the next day with Justin Rose and you see him hit it, and you're like, oh man, I need to hit it like that. Then you play with Rory. And see him drive, and you're like, oh, I need to drive it like that. And next thing you know, you're twisting yourself into a pretzel and have, you know, you can't find your own game anymore. And then he said, I finally realized that I got here playing my game, and I'm good enough to be up here. And then he goes out the next year, gets his card back, and goes out and wins. I mean, it's a, it's got, a, it's a tough, 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 tough journey. I can't even imagine. But there was a guy. Is. I don't know if you remember this guy, but uh, I saw him hitting balls few years ago at Lake Forest at night and I think he was practicing for the senior am or senior open. His name was Tom Lamore. And I, I think he he made like ninety percent of the cuts in like eighty four. And then he was paired with Fred Couples and he just 
says, oh, my gosh, this is – I'm swinging the wrong way. The guy had a real basic, you know, yeah. you know, just, you know, triangle back, triangle through, kind of stay centered. And then he saw Fred Couples playing. He's like, no, no, I'm playing golf the wrong way. And he actually switched his his swing. And so then, you know, sure enough, he's off the tour and he's on the mini tour with us. And uh, and we called it La Move. Move. Oh, you play with La He's got the La Move. And he's trying to swing like Freddie. Cal- and he did. He had it down. It was like watching, uh, you know, some of these you know, swing guys, you know, like Rich Little, right? You know, yeah. Like, he was just mimicking the swings, and uh, and he had the move down. But, oh, man, it, it was like – he goes – and I'm like, Tom, what happened? You know, and he says, yeah, he goes – he goes, I, you know, I switched to the – you know, swinging like couples, and uh, he goes, I just thought – he goes, I missed the cut one week, and he, he goes, I thought – driving to the next event, he goes, I thought, I might not ever make another cut again. He goes, oh. I never did. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a- – quick exit when you start losing it that's for sure you know and I, I think i think that's so important to you know everyone wants to take it to the next level but i think you have to really protect where you are you know yeah. and and build on that you know very solidly but I, I would say too you know if you took any of your students and you looked at their swings and where they're at they don't need that, you know, and I think it's, it's kind of part of the management of your management and the parents' management of, Hey, let's stay the course here and just keep getting better. You know, there's everyone's jumping around looking for the latest, greatest, newest thing. It's like, no, the fundamentals haven't changed in 50 years. You know, it's like stick to the fundamentals, be sound. Don't be jumping around using your extra energy, you know, chasing this stuff that's going to, you know, Mess yeah. you up. Yeah, there there are no unicorns. That's for sure. You have to stay the course. You know. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the absolute truth. Um, so, a couple uh, other quick questions. You've been really, really, really generous with your time. I really enjoyed this. But I got five. I, I, I appreciate spending time with you. And yeah, man, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I got five quick last questions. We're calling the whiskey run in honor of okay. the, the five-hole turn at Via Verde where I play many, many, many <laughs> rounds of golf. Uh, what is your favorite course of all time? Cypress Point. Yeah. I think three out of my four guests have answered Cypress Point. So uh, your favorite major championship? The Masters. All right. The best – you may have already answered this. The best or most, most memorable shot you've ever hit? Uh, probably 18 at Riviera when I was qualifying for the U S open is the 36th hole of the day. And, uh, I just birdied 17 and I was really, really, really nervous and, you know, not that tired, but just really nervous. And I, I just remember just, it was so satisfying to get up there and just do my routine and it just, everything worked and I just crushed it down the middle and then there, I might just have to say tie with when I won the Queen Mary Open, I was on the uh, fifth hole playoff with Victor Regalado. And I had this pin was front right, and I had a cut three wood at the left side of the green, and it just went ex- – I was – you know, I was so balanced. I was in my tilt. My head didn't move. I was on plane. I was relaxed. And uh, I had this little cut three wood, like, you know, 245 – right in the middle of the green under a lot of pressure. And I'd say those two shots under the gun were probably, you know, just, they really, 
I can, I can just thinking about them, I can almost feel them, you know, and visualize them and remember how, how they felt. Yeah. Uh, who's your favorite player of all time? Well, Tom Watson, you know, he was, he was my guy and uh, I, I would, I would stalk him. My dad would get me out of school on Tuesdays and we'd go down to, used to be the tournament champions at Lacoste. I would just sit there on the range and watch him hit balls for four hours. And then in the U.S. Open in 82, I watched him play every hole the first two rounds. I watched every single shot. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but Watson, the first day, he was four over going into 15 at Pebble. And he he finished birdie, 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 birdie. And then the second day, he was three over going into – I mean, I'm like, he's going to miss the cut. And he goes, birdie, birdie, birdie. And then on 18, he hit a pin high, and, and he uh, didn't get up and down. So he, he almost birdied the last four holes the first two days. Oh, my goodness. And, and just watching him play and, and swing and just the way he I, – I tried to emulate him. Right. That swing. Yeah, yeah it's not – I mean, that, it stood the test of time. That's what I was – I had a conversation with Brady Riggs yesterday – and uh, you can watch all the Masters on YouTube now. Like, I mean, every, every single year, he's like, I'm going to bed at 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm watching the 86, <laughs> the 89, you know, we're talking about it. And just looking at how those guys swung the golf club compared to what, what you're seeing, you know, we talk about the Instagram instructors now, kind of how tight everything looks. And then you watch, you know, a guy like, you know, Gene Litterler, like you, I saw you, somebody posted, yeah. I think you posted that earlier today. Yeah. I mean, you see those swings, like, man, there's so much freedom and so much flow in there. And when did, when did that stuff kind of go by the wayside? Like you said, the, the fundamentals haven't changed in, since, the, since the dawn of time. Uh, so it's, uh, it's nice to be able to see those. And I mean, like I said, Tom Watson in his 60s was playing great, great, great golf still. It's pretty, pretty awesome. Okay, last question for you. And then maybe I'll try and squeeze a Mac story out of you at the end here. Okay. Uh, who's in your dream foursome? Like pro golfers or like it's anybody? Not, it could be anybody. That, that's a good one. I'd probably say uh, my dad, Ben Hogan, probably Bobby Jones, even though yeah, Watson's my guy. That'd be yeah, I fun. mean, if you get a chance to play with Bobby Jones, I think that'd be pretty sweet. All right, yeah. can you give me one good – Mac story doesn't have to be bad or crazy. Just the best Mac story you can think of off the top of your head. <laughs> oh, man, there's so many good ones. <laughs> uh, well, you, you know, you spent a lot of time coming down and, and uh, giving lessons, you know, at, at Big T, you know, just to my students for free. And, and so, so we had so much fun of, like, hitting balls over the net, you know, and yep. – uh, one of the funnest times we had was down in the desert. We were at the uh, Mission Hills Resort, you know, the Pete Dye Resort course. Yep, yep. And uh, my parents had a condo down at PJ West, so we had a bunch of guys in from the Philippines, and they're staying at our condo. And the one guy, Carrito, Miller Roman, he, was, he won Junior World, and he was a really nice guy. And uh, so we're all in the back of the range, and we're playing. And it was when Mac was really talking to Gene Sarazen and – Sneed and all these guys of hey, what can I do to kind of learn the golf swing better? And they all had their ideas. And Sneed was saying, you know, hip bolts barefoot. That's where you really feel the ground, and you'll really feel the swing with that. And so we're all out there, you know, without shoes on. And then 
And then Max says, Max says, okay, here's the deal. We're going to play nine holes. And it was kind of like it's so much technical stuff, right? And we're just working, I mean, like five, six hours of technical stuff, you know, P1, P2, go to three, out to, you know, out to six, come back, you know, pump, pump up. And we're doing these drills over and over. And so he says, okay, everyone get it, their own cart. He goes, we're going to have a contest. He says, uh, I'm paying hundred bucks to whoever wins. He goes, first one. And there's, there's probably like seven of us. And he goes, first one to finish. And you got to put everything out. You don't have to put the hole in, put the, uh, you can put the pin in. He goes, but we're going to go from the first hole to the ninth hole. First one to finish wins. So you got these seven cards with all these barefoot guys. I think that was our last day there. We played nine <laughs> holes. I think I played, I, I won. I, I played in like 40, I think it was like 40 minutes. You know, it, it might have been a little bit less, but, but, but it was the dangest thing to see. Here's all these – we didn't even put our shoes on because, you know, we, we didn't have time. We just boom to the first tee, and guys are driving carts, you know, like up on the fridge. You know, it's in the summer. No one's there, you know, but obviously someone saw us because that was our last day there. Jeez, but it was super awesome. fun, you know, and that was kind of the point, too, of, you know, we uh, – you know, just playing – just air it out, right? Just go play. Just go swing. Just yep. get it up there and hit it. You know, get all the thoughts yeah. out of your head. Yeah, I might use that as a as a drill for my juniors. Just go out there and hit it, find it, hit it, find it. Get done as fast as you can. Because I, I'll give you one more. Here is a good one. Is Sarazen told him go out and play eighteen holes with one club. One day do it with your driver. Next day three with it. And so we didn't do that, but we did like six iron, eight iron. And I remember the day before the. Uh, Queen Mary Open in 91, we went out and we played uh, nine holes at Candlewood on the backside with just an eight iron. And I remember I shot 36. And then uh, it, it was amazing because, you know, you could shut the face down and, right. you know, you could, you know, just really lag it. And it was amazing how far you can end up hitting it. Oh yeah, and then uh, you're just hitting all the shots, and it was an eight iron and a putter, so we did have a putter. But we went out and we, and we walked nine holes, and uh, you know, played with one club. And I remember watching Mac play Mission Hills, Pete Die Course, the Country Club, with a six iron left handed, and I, I think he shot like two under from all yeah. the way back. That was that yeah. was amazing. Yeah, I believe it. He's a uh, he's pretty yeah, impressive. Stuff. So. Well, hey, Bobby, thank you so much, man. I had a blast talking thank to you. you. Uh, I'd love to do it again in the future. Um, Absolutely, anytime. And uh, it's been great catching up with you over this last couple of weeks of this lockdown. And like I said, it's been, a, been kind of beneficial. I've had a pretty good education watching John Ray Leary's stuff and a lot of people oh, doing good it. content. So I'm glad we reconnected, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right, thank you for your service and your friendship and all the good work you do for the game of golf. Thanks, man. My pleasure.